This episode is sponsored by TBR. It's time to check out TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. With TBR, you tell our professional book nerds, we call them bibliologists, about your likes and dislikes, whether you want comfort or stretch reads, and of course, what your reading goals are, and then sit back while they comb through your Goodreads account, if you have one, and handpick recommendations and must-reads for you. TBR offers plans to receive three hardcover books in the mail or three recommendations by email, so that there's an option for every budget. And the recommendations-only level is available worldwide. After each order, give your bibliologist feedback, update your request to stay in line with your reading goals and expanding horizons, and basically have your own personal book concierge. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. It only takes a few minutes. That's mytbr.co. And thanks again for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to Hey YA, from great new books to favorite classic reads. From new stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast hosted by myself, Erica Azafetti, and Tirza Price. We're recording today on March 8th. How are you, Tirza? Great. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. The weather is interesting. I don't know how it is where you are, but it's interesting here. Well, in in Iowa, we had major tornado in two inches of snow, all within a 24-hour time period. So that was, you know, the tornado was not near me, but it was, like, close enough that I was, like, WTF weather. So, yeah. Oh, my God. That's, like, that movie, uh, Does what is it, like... 2022 or 2012? Remember that disaster movie? I can't remember it. I think Dennis Quaid was in it. 2012, yeah. Yeah. Which is now like 10 years old. It makes me feel old. It makes me feel so old. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's it's been something. I mean, because I'm new to Iowa, relatively speaking. I've only been here for like seven months now. And so every time I'm like, huh weather and people are like this isn't normal and i was like yeah that oh. i'm glad to hear it but also like disconcerted that like yeah this is what climate change is doing to us yeah. like we're That's hiding in our basements in december to hide from tornadoes like what <laughs> so anyhow unbelievable yeah anyway march is always so funky because i get really excited for spring and, like, sometimes we'll get these warm days, and I'm like, yes, yeah, spring! But, like, you know not to trust it, because it'll just snow in two weeks. Yeah. Uh, someone at Book Riot, uh, we were talking, and they were like, there's this chart of, like, it details the types of spring that happen in, like, February and March. And it was, like, fake spring, super fake spring. It's like, you're here in fake spring, where yes. um, pollen starts to come out, and it's warmer, but then it's not quite... Oh no no no! Yeah. It wasn't like that. There was there was a part referring to pollen and like allergy and stuff. It was called the pollening, which I thought was great. Yes. <laughs> it's like we're definitely at that stage where like a blizzard could still happen. So it's fun times. Yeah, great fun. <laughs> great great fun. <sighs> well, today I'm really excited about a topic because I feel like I've been wanting to talk about this for a while because I always want to talk about great YA 
book to movie or book to TV mm-hmm. series adaptations. So we're just like leaning into it this episode. We're going to talk about all the adaptations, like yes. recent ones that we've watched or or seen and like also stuff that's in progress, stuff that we're really excited for. And I feel like before we get into this, we should preface this by saying that like so many things get optioned these days. And by things, I mean, like, books, because Hollywood likes to snatch things up. And so what I mean by optioned is that the process from, like, book to movie is very long. And I do not pretend to know it. I don't pretend to understand all the steps. But, like, when something is optioned, that basically means that somebody in Hollywood, whether it's, like, a producer or a network or a streamer, has bought the rights film rights to a book with the option of producing them. So it doesn't actually mean that anything will actually make its way to screen. Like it's sometimes, I'm not sure what the numbers are, but it almost Mm -hmm. feels rare when you see how many things get optioned and then like what actually makes it to your screen. So I definitely think though that streaming has significantly helped with like the likelihood of a movie or a TV show being made. Especially when you think about Netflix. Like Netflix Mm -hmm. is probably arguably, and I'm just like saying this, you know, based off of my own impressions and anecdotal evidence, I would say like the most popular, most accessible streamer, like, you know, not everybody has HBO Max, but it feels like everybody has Netflix. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. It was like, it's kind of like the OG streamer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) for real. And um, which fun fact, a lot of people think that like Netflix killed Blockbuster, but Blockbuster, Netflix did not kill Blockbuster. There's a really fascinating documentary on it. You should go watch it. I did not know that, Tirza. (laughs) Yeah, it's called The Last Blockbuster. And basically Blockbuster was like poised to like launch their own streaming. Um, But because of some bad business decisions, they didn't have enough money to launch at the same time that Netflix did. And Netflix just like raced ahead of them. So like Netflix didn't put them out of business. They just couldn't keep up so it's it's kind of interesting but yeah so so streaming i think has definitely changed the landscape a ton especially when it comes to YA stuff because i feel like previously if you're going to make a movie based off of a YA book like you'd want to know that there was like a huge movie audience behind it but like teens are also kind of a hard audience because like they don't always have their own money to like you know go to the movies or buy books or just anything so it's kind of like a hard target to sell towards so then like you can make a movie and it comes out and you like go see it in theaters and then like it has to do well in theaters and sometimes that's hard whereas like you could have this movie come out and like stream on netflix and like millions of teens who already have netflix in their homes will just like watch it whenever and it does really well like i think about dumplin and to all the boys i've loved like i feel like those are like really good examples of very popular netflix movies And to your point about, like, the generational issue, like, teens having access or not having access because of money and stuff like that, I wonder, too, if more, say, YA books specifically are being adapted because of streaming and stuff, because our generation, I I wonder if our gen, I feel like our generation, this is another, like, not researched opinion, I feel like our generation is comfortable with watching like YA stuff more so than our parents generation so I feel like it's like you know more YA things YA books can be um turned into movies and shows and you have 
um, at least some of the teenage audience probably whose parents have Netflix and stuff like that. But then you also have like millennials who will gobble it up. Yes. <laughs> For sure. Because you know. like a lot of the stuff that's being made, um, they were books that were popular when we were teens. And that is definitely yes. something I want to talk about yes. um, later on in the show because I am fascinated by the idea of like older books, like books that were popular before I was a teenager and while I was a teenager, all of a sudden are getting like the Hollywood treatment. And I'm just like, what? Like, I mean, I'm going to watch it. And maybe that's why, because they know we're going to watch it. Yeah. But I totally agree. I think our generation probably is. And partly because like our generation was like, I don't know, we kind of came of age with the YA boom. Like, Mm, that's probably true. Yeah. Like I was a legit teenager when YA started booming and, like, when, you know, Twilight came out and all that Same. stuff. So, yeah, it's it's really fascinating to me. But it's also, like, there's so much going on now that, like, I can't even keep track of them all, which is kind yeah. of exciting. Um, yeah. The other thing is that I still feel like Hollywood, though, tends to skew pretty white and pretty straight and cis when it comes to picking up adaptations for like the wider mainstream sort of movie going audience. Like I think the first YA book by an author of color to be adapted was everything, everything. And that didn't come out that long ago. So wow, I'm pretty, I mean, okay, don't quote me on that. But like, I remember when everything, everything came out, I remember sitting down and being like, is this the first YA book by an author of color to be made into a major movie? Um, And not like, you know, a made-for-TV movie or anything. And, you know, of course, since then, we've had Jenny Hans to all the boys series. And we're seeing more books by authors of color being adapted, which is great. But, like, still by and large, these are pretty white books that are getting picked up. And sometimes, you know, people, like, movie producers add diversity to the stories, which I think is an interesting element. Like, I don't know if you've ever read or seen Dash and Lily's Book of Dares. Mm-mm. No. Okay. Well, that's um, a really great book series by David Levithan and Rachel Cohn. And they, I mean, I read the books a while ago and I watched the, it's now a Netflix series and it's just one season, but it's super adorable. It's like Christmas time in New York and the main character, Lily, they updated her to, um, I believe she's Japanese American. So like, that was cool. Like, it's nice to see like, is if they're going to like do the research and make it you know, genuine to the character and not just a, oh, you know, let's, you know, try to put a cast a character in color and then like ignore the fact that this person yeah. is a person of color. Um, I don't feel like they did that with Dash and Lily. Um, I say this is a white person, so just, you know, keep that in mm-hmm. mind. But um, it's nice to see like older books getting sort of like a little bit of a refresh. And there's that option yeah. with adaptations. So I just kind of rambled a bit. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but... That makes sense. (laughs) I think it makes sense. It's interesting how they do choose, with book adaptations, they do tend to choose uh, cis white people, um, like cis white authors and stuff like that. When I, I know there's like a fear of the movie or show not doing well, but then you have these books by queer people and, you know, queer people and people of color who that do really well. So it's kind of like, hmm. And then some of the books that they adapt by White's authors, they don't necessarily, before they're adapted, they're not necessarily super popular. Some of them. 
Yeah. So it does, it does kind of beg the question. It is kind of like, hmm, why? I mean, if you really just want to make money, um, you want something to, you know, that's really popular, just uh, adapt things that are, I mean, but then that could also be tied to publishing, discrimination in publishing. The last, yeah. the past few years we've seen in YA, especially so much diversity. It's been like a huge boom in, in YA diversity wise. So. Yeah. And it's, I'm always curious to know, like, what the backroom dealings are when it comes to, like, what gets yeah optioned, but then, like, but beyond what gets optioned, like, what gets pushed forward, because you're right, like, there's some ridiculously popular things where you're like, oh, that mm-hmm. makes sense that they're not making a movie out of it. And then there's yeah. some ridiculously popular things you're like, why hasn't anybody adapted that? And exactly. then there are some things where it's like, really that book like that's what you're adapting like why would you adapt that yeah Yeah. like it's cool that you're like why shouldn't you but like also it's not like it's a bestseller or like the book was kind of just sort of chilling out solidly in the mid list and yeah (laughs) Yeah. so i i just i don't know i'm suppose like publishing hollywood is very capricious and yeah you know you just never know what's gonna come out of it so pretty much it's gonna be fun but before we get into what we're going to talk about today, like specific shows and movies, um, we're going to hear from another sponsor. So this episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio from Alison Saft, author of Down Comes the Night, comes a far wilder magic. It's a propulsive fantasy perfect for fans of Aaron A. Craig and Margaret Rogerson. In A Far Wilder Magic, whoever is able to kill the Hala, the last mythical creature, will earn fame and riches and unlock an ancient magical secret. Margaret is the best sharpshooter in town, but she needs an alchemist to enter the hunt. Weston's last chance to be an alchemist hinges on Master Welty taking him in, but when Wes arrives at Welty Manor, he finds only Margaret. As the hunt looms, Margaret and Wes uncover a dark magic that could be the key to winning, if they survive long enough. Thanks so much to Macmillan Audio for sponsoring this episode. That is A Far Wilder Magic by Allison Saft, and also that cover is gorgeous. Go look it up if you haven't already. (laughs) All right, so I think the first one that we wanted to talk about, mostly because this is kind of like hinting back to earlier when I was saying that I'm fascinated by things that are older getting on the Hollywood treatment, in this case, it's a Hollywood reboot, is did you know that there is a new I Know What You Did Last Summer TV show? (laughs) (laughs) Which, yes, like, I think, I don't know. I don't know. I I, exist in my own little bubble. So I'm not sure, like, actually how well known or how popular this was when it first came out, um, I think, last year, 2021, on Amazon Prime. But there's a new new TV series, and it's <laughs> very different from the mm. show, but, like, also has some familiar sort of connections. So, yes, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Have you read I Know What You Did Last Summer? Yes. I, and I watched some of the show. And I feel like I watched... The 1997, I believe the year came out, 1997 movie, but I haven't watched it lately. That had to be a while ago. Have you seen the movie, the original movie? Oh, yeah. So it's so funny because I saw that there's a TV show and I was like, okay, I'm probably going to watch that just because, you know, this is what I do. 
<laughs> but then also I got to thinking and I was like, I don't actually remember if I've read the book because I remember reading Lois Duncan in like middle school. But like mm-hmm. I like all my memories were just completely jumbled, which is fine because like I'm sure there are plenty of books I read as a kid that I have no recollection of now. And, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really realize like, oh, Lois Duncan, she's somewhat famous. You're just like picking books up off the library shelf. So I went back and I reread I Know What You Did Last Summer. And I'm thinking maybe I hadn't read it before because I had like zero memory of it. And then I told my partner who loves horror, especially like loves a scream franchise and like slashers and everything. I was like, I have to watch I Know What You Did Last Summer for a podcast. Do you want to watch it with me? And so we did. Oh, I love and that. Yeah, <laughs> we watched it last week. And I, and I remember watching the movie. It's so 90s. It's so 90s. It is like the 90s movie, or at least one of them. Yeah. The lineup is ridiculous. It is. It's, yeah, it's Freddie Prince Jr., it's Ryan Mm. Phillip, it's Sarah Michelle Gellar and Jennifer Love Hewitt, like, all the people with the three names that were the 90s teen stars. (laughs) Yeah, why did they have three names? I don't know. I never noticed that before. Oh, yeah. So it was pretty funny. I, yeah, so I, it was... Interesting, though, to, like, consume all of this media, like, right in a row. And I did this totally backwards because I watched the show, then I watched the movie, then I read the book. And the new TV show, I think, is Mm. more of an homage to the 90s movie than Mm -hmm. the book. And that is interesting to me. And I just have to, like, go on a quick tangent about the book real quick. (laughs) Okay. So, so. Please do. And in doing so, I will say this. We'll give away some slight spoilers for the book because the book is, like, now over 40 years old. Almost. No, it's going to be 50 years old next year. Are you serious? I'm serious. What? Well, okay, no, it came. <gasps> oh, let me. Seventy three. Yeah, it came. I think it was. It was written in seventy three, and maybe it came out in seventy eight. I read an interview with the author. Oh, okay. so anywho, yeah, but it came out in the seventies, <laughs> and uh-huh. so I picked up a copy from my local library, and I was reading it, and like when I first pick it up and I start reading it, I'm like, yeah, this feels so seventies, like with like how the characters are talking and like the situation and like the whole idea of like are you even somebody if you're not going out every Friday night with a boy like all this stuff felt very 70s and then all of a sudden they like said the word email and I was like what now because oh yes I mean I know the internet (laughs) existed long before people think that the internet existed, but I don't think teens were emailing each other in the 70s. So I looked it up and apparently my copy was a revised and updated edition. Lois Duncan got the opportunity in the late 2000s to go through some of her books and she revised and she updated them. And I actually hate it because you're, you're like reading this story about how like Helen is working at the TV station as a college or as a high school dropout and she's doing webcasts and she's like getting emails. And I'm like, no. Also, like, I know what you did last summer would fall apart if you had cell phones and social media because mm-hmm. like the big twist hinges on the fact that like, one person is pretending to be two different people to the different characters. And like, it would all fall apart in two seconds if they had Instagram. So I'm not in favor of updating. I know what you did last summer because I don't think it would stand up to like the new technology that we have. 
And I think that's fine. I think it's totally fine that this book can exist in the 70s. And honestly, the writing is not that bad that I don't necessarily think teens wouldn't want to go back to it. But you know, not every book has to like, stand the test of time. That sounds mean. I'm so sorry to Ms. Duncan there. Um, Because obviously it has stood the test of time and that we keep seeing these different iterations. And then the other, my other quibble with that is, so it's set in the seventies, which by the way, is like when my mom was in high school. So that was kind of like a mind bender for me to be like this, this could be about like people, my, my mom's age. So Vietnam was like hugely on the public consciousness and the fact that and like that plays a big role in the book. Like you have characters mm-hmm. who are home from Vietnam. You have characters who are living in a town where there are student protests against the war in Vietnam. And in the version that I read, she updated it to Iraq. And I have really conflicting feelings about that just because like, yes, Unfortunately, war is cyclical and we just keep having these wars that keep coming up. And obviously, like, I do remember in the late 2000s, like, there were people who were, you know, protesting the war in Iraq. But I feel like it's a different tenor. Like, you, I don't remember necessarily seeing tons of student protests against the war in Iraq. Like, you know... There was coverage in Vietnam. So, yeah. So I just felt like that was kind of a weird change. And her updating actually made the book feel like more out of reach to students and and, like teenagers of that generation. I kind of wish that like she'd just let it be. But that's my opinion. So anywho, just know that like the original text is very much of the 70s. And then I think it's interesting that you see that in the in the movie like that's very much of the 90s and then the new tv series feels like a cw show on acid oh my god it really does yes it does there's a lot of sex and nudity and i'm not a prude but i was like yeah the teen shows when i was a teen did not have this much sex and nudity (laughs) they did not and i feel so on that note like the first episode there is a little nudity by the pool. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember. Do you, you did you watch the entire series? I have watched the entire series. Yes. Okay. So you might not remember, but it was very for a minute, but I just wasn't expecting it. And I was like, what? <laughs> okay. Um, so that's the kind of show it is. And I feel like, I do feel like the show was trying too hard to, um, like the dialogue was like kind of stilted for me. It did feel stilted. The things that I liked about this adaptation is that they keep the they keep the seaside setting, like, mm-hmm. but it's set in Hawaii, which I, is interesting to have a show set in Hawaii. Then you have like the protagonist be this white girl. That's a choice, but that is quite the choice. You're right. It is quite the choice. There are people of color in this show, like you know, not like a couple token, like they're, they're quite, but like, there's a lot of white people too. So, and nobody ever talks about the indigenous community and the tensions that exist, whatever. That, yeah. that is something that they completely gloss over. That's not what I like about the show. What I like about the show is that it makes almost a bit more sense to me for tension wise to have, and this is not a spoiler because you find out in the very first episode, the protagonists are twin girls and one of them runs over the other one in the first Mm. episode and assumes her identity. 
And, like, that immediately kind of, like, takes, like, I know what you did last summer, like, to the next level. (laughs) So I thought that was kind of interesting. But it almost felt like it didn't know what genre it wanted to be. Like, is this a suspense? Is this a mystery? Is this a slasher? Like, the 90s version. So it was kind of all over the place. But, yeah. Yeah, I, what I liked about it, it did, like I said, I haven't finished it. I'm, like, about, like, two and a half, three episodes in. And the dialogue is kind of takes you out a little bit, and it's a little choppy. And I do feel like the phrases they say, they're trying too hard to... I'm just like, who who wrote the dialogue? <laughs> I'm like, you can just speak normally. It's fun. like, I feel like they're trying hard to sound like Generation Z. Yes. Which is funny because... A little tangent time. A lot of, like, what I see being uh, described as Generation Z or internet slang is just black slang, like African-American vernacular English. And a, a lot of the phrases, not all of them, some of them are new, but a lot of the phrases that get counted as Generation Z slang, black people have been saying for, like, a long time. So when they when they get uploaded to Twitter and Instagram and all that, The context leaves. So then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. I'm seeing these phrases and hearing these phrases that are used like not really how they're usually used, like how I've been hearing them used, like just in speaking to people for decades now. (laughs) So it's like the show suffers from that problem of kind of just like seeing how many like I was about to say cool hip. (laughs) I'm like, who says I feel like I haven't heard anyone say that in a decade or so. But, like, they try to say, you know, trendy phrases, like, kind of, how many can we say, you know, at once? Yeah. Luckily, I feel like it's not super dialogue-driven. Definitely not. So, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Your response just made me laugh. I don't know why. But, so, that's a good thing. And I actually did feel like there was kind of more talking in the first episode and I was kind of like I don't pay attention to ratings I'm a girl I'm an adult so right. I, I went into this thinking like oh it's a YA movie I haven't seen the I haven't seen the movie for a long time and you know reading the book it's like it's a YA book and I know there's like death and stuff like that but I didn't pay attention to the um like content warnings and then I see nudity I was like a second and there are drugs oh yeah and this is the first episode it's a lot it's a lot in that first episode honey it's a lot i was like whoa hold on <laughs> what they cram in a lot and like that is not the end of the sex and the nudity that you will see like there are some very like and i don't think mm. sex is not like i think sex is age appropriate for ya but yeah. sometimes i like look at this and i'm like these teenagers are like pretending like they've had multiple sexual partners and they've just had tons and tons and tons of sexual experience. And sometimes it starts to like push at the bounds of believability because I'm like, these are teenagers. How much experience can they really have? They need a few more years in order to get there. But there's also like a lot of like sexual content between the adults on the show. And there's more of a focus on like the adults as well. Like not, as much as on the teens but i think that is also kind of speaks to like what you were talking about where like Mm. millennials will get into the show and i think that i i think some of that is sort of pandering towards like the original i know what you did last summer audience by like having so many you know subplots and scenes with the adults and seeing like 
the adults getting it on, like maybe that is satisfying the older viewers as well. I don't know. Um, but it does kind of make it feel like it's not quite the straightforward teen TV show or movie like we're used to. Yes. Yes. And I, I like that you bring that up because I, I don't know yet. And I do actually want to finish it because I was going to say, once you get past like the dialogue, I'm just like, oh my God, I'm rolling my eyes. I do want to know what happens. Yeah. <laughs> like, I do want to see, like, I am kind of, like, um, hooked. And it's just enough, um, like, of a scary factor for me as a weenie. So if you <laughs> like horror, it might not be enough for you. A side note, when they're in the cave in, like, the first episode, they hear something in the back of the cave. And it turns out, this is not really a spoiler. Spoilers, like, the first episode turns out to be like you know a rat or something but right when the rat was revealed my like the wind gusted and it blew my blind (laughs) and i was like oh my god i'm gonna die (laughs) so just side note but on the point about the adults getting it on first of all the dad okay with the beard and the hair yes you know i'm not i'm not mad at it you know (laughs) i'm not mad at that at all but I, I don't know how I felt about it. Like, I, you know, like I said, I wasn't mad at him. But I felt like, I don't know. He looked too young to be the father of 19-year-olds. Yeah, there was something, like, weird about, I don't know, seeing, like, the adult, like, the parents, the adults um, engaging in, you know, sex, which is fine, of course. And then, like, the next scene, you have these teenagers, air quotes, well, these people who are supposed to be teenagers, they're talking about sex and drugs and stuff and kind of having those two things side by side. It was kind of, I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah. Did that, did, did that affect you in any way or would, did you, did that just not like do, like, did you not consider that at all? You know, it was, the whole show was just kind of like, I was kind of along for the ride and I was curious yeah. to see how it went. I feel like this is another example of just like being able to put it on a streamer to kind of catch a wider audience and see what happens. Mm. And it did feel like they were trying really hard to strike the balance of like offering enough nostalgia and like adult storylines to like get an older audience, but also trying to like hook a teen audience. And it makes me kind of want to like hit the streets and find real teens and be like, did you watch this? What did you think? (laughs) (laughs) Tears of... Reporting directly from the streets. (laughs) Back to you, Erica. Send me the teens. I want to interview them. Yeah. Um, It was interesting. Okay, I will say this. And this is not a spoiler because we're not going to give spoilers for the show. There is only one season. Like, Amazon did not renew it for another season. So I... You know, I will be curious. Once you finish this, you will have to text me and let me know what you think of the ending. (laughs) Yeah, actually, yeah, I actually do want to finish it. Like at first, obviously, I was and the, the first episode, I did have to struggle through it a little bit at first. And I was just like, I'm doing this for the podcast. <laughs> this for the podcast. And then I was like, wait a second, I'm intrigued. So there is that. Yeah, I do feel like that first episode, there's so much happening because they're trying to like, yeah. give you so much. And then like once you get to the end of the first episode, I'm like, okay, I'm in. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I feel like that's kind of like it it was a wild ride. If you just kind of go in with low expectations, it can be kind of fun. Yeah. And some sometimes, yeah, like, yeah, what you just said, sometimes when you especially I think this especially works with like horror or slasher things, slasher films, shows, whatever. Um, If you go into it thinking like this is going to be kind of silly, maybe a little campy, 
um, then you leave more opportunity to be, like, pleasantly surprised yes. rather than, like, oh, my God. Yes. That's kind of how I felt. I was, like, we're just going to see what happens. And, um, and honestly, like, again, without giving away any spoilers, like, the ending was enough that I'm, like, I want to talk with somebody about it. I'm not sure that I would say, like, oh, my God, I loved it. It was fantastic. But, like. I it stuck oh, with man. me and I I, really I wish I would have finished it now. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> we'll leave the spoiler free chat so anybody listening can now be intrigued. But then you can like email me and tell me what you thought because I have yeah. lots of thoughts. So yeah, please do. I'm gonna try to finish it ASAP and then I'll get in on that. Awesome. Well, um, do you want to go to our next sponsor and then we can talk about some more adaptations that we've liked or are anticipating? This episode is sponsored by Book Riot's newsletters. Did you know that Book Riot has over 25 newsletters covering every genre as well as book deals and news? Sign up for book deals to get notified about the best book deals of the day, handpicked by our editorial staff. There's Today in Books, summing up the most interesting literary headlines every day, The Riot Rundown, our roundup of our most exciting new content, or our new books newsletters that compiles a list of the week's best new releases and comes to you every Tuesday which, if you didn't know, is new release date in publishing. We also have newsletters for horror fans, romance readers, YA enthusiasts, mystery slash thriller aficionados, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash newsletters to sign up for whichever ones are most interesting to you. Thanks again to Book Riot's newsletters for sponsoring this episode. Awesome. So Erica, what adaptations have you been enjoying lately and or are you anticipating Ooh, ha so i saw like a month or so ago not a month i'm lying (laughs) well a month feels like you know the space-time continuum has been broken by 2020 so a month is a year is six months (laughs) all that um i don't know when i watched this actually i think it was a minute ago but i watched enola holmes on netflix and i have not read the book but or the books it's a series um the books do look great so they're on my list i know i've mentioned it to you before and i know you said the earlier ones seem to lean kind of more middle grade Mm -hmm. but the later ones do uh seem to be YA. Yeah. I think the newest one is like straight up marketed as YA. Yeah. Yeah. Even like you can definitely even tell like just by the cover. Um, But the Netflix adaption, adaptation rather, sorry, has Henry Cavill. Um, I mean, if I have to continue, uh, I mean, no no shade to Millie Bobby. It has Henry Cavill, Millie Bobby Brown of Stranger Things fame, Helena Bonham Carter. I'm like right there. Millie Bobby Brown, I am still, I I like basically all the projects I've seen her and I've liked. I think she's a very solid young actress and I'm excited to see like what she does in the future. Her stuff is solid. Like she acts well and whatever she's, the shows she's in, her mini series, um, they're pretty good. Uh, Henry Cavill, you know, Helena Bottom Carter. I've loved her since forever. She's always in some interesting stuff. This is super fun. It's about Sherlock Holmes' little sister, who is a little amateur sleuth. And just imagine, you know, a teenage girl basically doing the things Sherlock Holmes would do, except, you know, she's a girl in like Victorian England or whatever. Helena Bottom Carter, side, side note, is her mother. The Netflix 
adaptation was really fun. I really liked it. Did you get did you get a chance to see it by chance? Oh yeah, I loved it. I thought it was so oh, much it was fun. So nice. And it was like, so fun. I mean, obviously, I'm very much a sucker for like the historical mysteries that kind of feel a little bit anachronistic with like the modern influences. So you don't say tears yeah, are really yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Right>? shocked. <laughs> um, so I really yeah. love this, and I like. I'm really excited to know that there's going to be more Enola on our screens because I think Billy Bobby Brown's amazing. So it's yeah, it's going to be so good. I thought it was fantastic. It's it's pretty good, honestly. Definitely watch it. Yes. Um, one um, adaptation that I'm actually excited, really excited about, that's supposed to come out later this year, although we don't have an exact date, is um, First Kill. And that's going to be coming out on Netflix. And so even though we don't have a date, there is, like, actually a page for it on the Netflix site, which is usually a good indicator that, like, it's coming. Like, it's... It's like, actually coming. Yeah. Yeah. And I am, like, at the point, like, where I don't ever believe that anything's actually going to be made until it's either yeah. in production or there's a cast. So um, this one does have, like, yeah, it ticks all those boxes. So First Kill, we don't know a lot about it, except for that it is based off of V.E. Schwab's um, short story, First Kill, which is in the anthology Vampires Never Get Old, which was edited by Zoraida Karanova. And... Yeah, like it's lesbian vampire versus <gasps> vampire slayer. And what? yeah, Emma Roberts is producing it. The cast looks amazing. And I'm honestly totally here for like vampires making a comeback if it means that like we get queer vampires and we get vampires of color and like all that fun stuff because. You know, people like to poo-poo on trends, but the thing is, is, like, a lot of trends, like, hit their peak before, like, authors of color and, like, other marginalized people could get in and, like, actually write their stories in these trends. So it's kind of fun to see vampires coming back and seeing, you know, just tons of different stories. So First Kill is coming out on Netflix sometime in 2022. That's going to be super fun. Yeah, like never did I imagine when I was watching Buffy in like the late 90s and early 2000s that like one day we would have like, you know, Buffy, but like Willow would be the star, like a queer girl would be the star, you know? So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I've, I've, um, I have like read and heard a lot about Willow being like the first time, um, queer girls were able to see themselves and she was like a very affirming character issues with the character aside yeah you know i and her relationship aside yeah yeah i think that was like the uh don't quote me on this again but i'm pretty sure it was the first time there was ever a kiss between two women on like network television so really yeah Obviously, like, wasn't the first portrayal of, like, a positive lesbian relationship because, like, Friends kind of had that before. You know, at least Friends had that. I, other shows probably. I mean, ha- Ellen Ellen came out before then. But, like, I'm pretty sure that was, like, the first time where, like, you got to see them kiss and, like, actually get some action. So, yeah, it's pretty amazing to think, like, we've come this far. It is enheartening, too. Yes. So. First Kill sounds really good. I'm hype about it. V. Schwab is, like, prolific. Very prolific. I mean, that's a short story, but, like, I'm, like, I find some books sometimes I'm in, and it says V. Schwab, and I'm, like, V. Schwab wrote that? Like, when did they find the time? Yeah. <laughs> they just had a um, 
a book come out, Gallant, yes. which also sounds really interesting. Um, but yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah. And another one I'm I'm looking well, one I'm looking forward to rather, not another, because the Enola Holmes I actually watched already. But one I'm looking forward to is Legendborn by Tracy Dion. Yes. It is being adapted by Felicia D. Henderson, who was a writer on Gossip Girl and The Punisher, and is the showrunner of Netflix YA Vampire Series First Kill. Woo, perfect. So hopefully that means that it will actually come to fruition. Because <laughs> this is one where it's like, I don't believe the cast has been um, identified or anything like that just yet. Yeah. That's so hard, too, because it's like sometimes these things can be like in production or they've been optioned for years and like nothing will happen and nothing will happen. And then all of a sudden it's like, nope, here's a cast. We're going into production this year. And it's like, whoa, okay. Um, It's so funny how that works, how that works out. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. And I feel like this is like a good segue into... If there's something that you love that has been, you know, optioned, but it's been years, don't give up hope because the strangest things get adapted literal decades after they were first written. And all this to say Uglies by Scott Westerfeld is getting a movie adaptation. They're like either filming it now or moving into post-production. There's a cast, everything. It's... Not sure when it's coming out. It's either at the very end of this year or probably early next year. But yeah, Uglies is going to be a movie. And I believe Uglies. it's a Netflix movie. Okay. So did you ever read the Ugly series? No, I was just about to get... No, I did not read it. But it was... I for, I do remember seeing it everywhere. Like, you know, everywhere oh, yeah. being, you know, every bookstore I went to, Barnes & Noble, etc. And I do think it, it... Yeah, it came out when I was still actually a teenager. Yes. And I feel like it belongs to a different, like, era of YA. Like that Hunger Games era? Yes. Kind of. It came out in 2005, so it predates Hunger Games. But this was, like, in my recollection, and, like, obviously we're going back on my memory, which is not always the most reliable. I remember Uglies being, like, huge. Like, it was at all the scholastic yeah. book fairs and everything. And that, what I recall, was kind of, like, sparking, like, the dystopian movement. Because... Yes. Um, and I'm not sure when, like, Neil Shusterman's Unwind came out, but it was around the same time because I remember reading Unwind after reading Uglies. And then The Hunger Games came out when I was in high school still. And then Divergent came out when I was in college. So it definitely is one of, like, the YA dystopian forebears. What I find really interesting about this and what I'm going to be really, really keen to see how they handle this is a lot so the the basic premise is that like it's a dystopian world where everybody's kind of normal until they turn 16 and then they go through a compulsory like plastic surgery to make them be pretty basically like and it's conforming to this ideal probably very white standard of beauty and everybody Uh. has to have the surgery you know and there are people who don't want to have the surgery so then you know that that's kind of like the basic premise in the world that you're in when I was reading the series in the early to late 2000s, and, and especially just, you know, my own sort of understanding of plastic surgery and elective surgeries 
as I was a teenager um, during that time was that like, oh, why would you ever want to have plastic surgery? Like, you should just love your body for how it is. And plastic surgery, that's shallow. Well, I think our understanding has definitely evolved, especially with like the body acceptance and body positivity movement and everything. Um, Now, I would never say like, oh, you shouldn't have you shouldn't have surgery or you shouldn't do this because now I know that there are many people with body dysmorphia and who are queer and who are non-binary and who are trans. And like, it would be super cruel of me to tell somebody who was non-binary or who was trans, like, oh, you should just like love your body for how it is. Because like, no, that's (laughs) like, like they, the source of a lot of trans people's pain and suffering is the fact that like they are living in a body that they are not meant to be in. So my understanding of, of, of like elective surgeries like that has definitely evolved over the years. And I'm wondering if the understanding of surgery, especially plastic surgery, is going to evolve in this adaptation. I think it needs to. It's too soon to say because we really don't know like where they're going with the plot. We don't have a trailer. We don't have anything yet. So I will be curious. That is my little rant about uglies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it yeah, it makes sense that they would have to change it because I think the whole premise relies on this idea like you were saying that plastic surgery is completely elective and not just elective, but it is a like superficial vanity project basically so yeah if you don't have that mindset of plastic surgery then i mean the idea of forcing someone to do something to their body i mean that still stands in a um as a good like part of a good dystopian plot but yeah the idea of um the idea surrounding plastic surgery well how did you like the uglies when you read it oh when i read them as a teen as a teen, I love them. I love this series. Mm-hmm. I was super hooked. And I'm, like, not saying that this can't be good or that, like, the Uglies series is problematic. I haven't read the book since I was an actual teen. It's been, like, over 15 years. But I'm just saying that, like, I don't necessarily think it was a nuanced examination of elective surgeries. Um, and you're right. Like, obviously, if somebody's being forced into it, that is a dystopian. Yeah. It was pretty bad. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like, and maybe I should just stop talking and, like, go reread the books because, again, it's been a long time <laughs> since I reread the books. But I will be curious to see how they approach that in the adaptation because I, I think it should, you know, definitely be something that is addressed. Yeah. I mean, again, it is a dystopian novel. So the forced plastic surgery is viewed as a bad thing. So I, I was going to say I'd be curious as to see what are they forcing people to turn into with through the surgery? Like, what features right. are they making them get in the show? Like, I'm curious to see how they handle that. Because, yes, it will be the four surgeries are, again, viewed as a bad thing. But still, I'm still curious as to, like, okay, how are they going to handle that? In, yeah. You know, today's political, you know. There's a racial um, element there, too, because... Definitely. Yeah. So it'll be curious to see how they do that, Um, especially because I'm fairly certain that the cast is like the main cast is white. So the main characters have been cast. But again, like we know who some people in the cast are, but we don't know like which characters they're playing or what their show is or what the movie is actually about. So we can just speculate at this point. But I feel like we have enough information to speculate and be like, hopefully they address these things. Yeah, for sure. 
<sighs> so anywho, we we have a few minutes left. Do you want to go through some more, you know, movies that we're looking forward to, movies and shows? Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to Children of Blood and Bone being adapted um, by Tomi Adeyemi. And that has been acquired by Paramount Pictures, who are promising to fast track the big screen adaptation. And she's, so- she's writing it, isn't she? <laughs> she's writing the film? I think so. Yeah, that's cool. I think cool. she's involved. Yes. It says with enormous pride that their studio, along with Tomi and partners, are bringing the franchise to the big screen. Awesome. I feel like the time is so ripe for that, especially since Shadow and Bone did so well. So, yes, I think it'll be similar titles too, side note. <laughs> but yeah, and this is basically like a Nigerian slash West African um, inspired YA fantasy about Zeli. Um, there's like magic and Orishas. And if you're not familiar, Orishas are like Yoruba goddesses and gods, deities and stuff like that. So Zeli has to bring back magic, strike against the monarchy, all those good fun things. So I think I'm like, and I, there's been a lot more the past few years, or at least I've been noticing more like African fantasy coming out. And I'm, I would love to see that on screen, like the colors and like the new mythological creatures. I think that's going to be so much fun. Like, I love fantasy in general. Like, so I'm just ready to see these new, like, magic things. Yes, that sounds really, like, there's so much to be explored there and so many different things that could be done. Um, It would be really exciting to see on screen. For sure. All right. So one I know that might be coming to Amazon Prime either later this year or next year. Um, If you love To All the Boys I've Loved Before, Jenny Han's um, YA debut, The Summer I Turned Pretty, is being adapted into, I believe, a a series on Amazon Prime. And Jenny's very involved in that. I love The Summer I Turned Pretty when it first came out. I think I was still in high school when it first came out, actually. Or maybe I just graduated from high school. Anyway, I remember reading it as a legit teen and loving it. It's a trilogy of books about this girl named Belly, which is short for Isabel. And she and her brother and her mom spend every single summer um, at this beach house that her mom's best friend owns. Her mom's best friend has um, two sons that are about Belly's age. And like that's their every year, every summer sort of deal. And then one summer, Belly and her family goes to spend the summer with them. And it's like all of a sudden she's turned pretty and she has feelings for Jeremiah and Conrad, who are the boys that are the sons of her mom's best friend. But like also there's some other big sort of changes on the horizon. So it's really, I remember it being really great trilogy. I want to reread the trilogy actually before it comes out as a TV show. The character of Belly in the books is white, but I believe they have cast an Asian American actress as Belly um, for the TV show, which is awesome. So yeah, The Summer I Turned Pretty on Amazon Prime. I think it'll be great. It sounds like it'll be pretty good. Yeah. And then just really quick, I'll just list a couple others that I know are in production that I think will be great. Um, Landscape with an Invisible Hand by M.T. Anderson, which I feel like is one of those books that like I remember when it came out, it 
it's not like a big bestseller or anything. Um, although M.T. Anderson is got all the awards and accolades. You know, he wrote Feed in 1989 and, um, you know, continues to put out a lot of amazing work. So this is one of his more recent novels. And it actually just started filming with Asante Black and Tiffany Haddish. Um, there's going to be a movie adaptation. And that's going to be a sci-fi story. So it's about these two teens who aliens have like taken over earth and they pretty much destroyed the economy. So what these teens do is they, they have like this subscription sort of video program where they pretend to go on like 1950s style vintage dates to entertain the aliens and to like make money, but like they actually hate each other. So it's becoming more and more difficult. I know that is so trippy, right? It kind of feels like black mirror esque, which is I think probably the appeal there. Um, So yeah, that looks, that sounds amazing. And I didn't even know that that had been optioned. Um, I just happened to be friends with MT Anderson on Facebook and he was like, they're now filming. And I was like, I didn't even know there was going to be a movie. Oh, they're now filming. That's great. I like how there's an alien invasion and they just mess up the economy. They don't like, you know. They don't destroy everything. Yeah. And they just like the economy's tanked. (laughs) Right. So, so real. So, and then if you're a fan of Jennifer E. Smith, I think especially um, if you like like Jenny Han's stuff, you'll like Jennifer E. Smith's books. She's got two books that are actually um, in the works. So Hello, Goodbye, and Everything in Between is coming to Netflix either later this year or next year. And I think they they finished filming that. And then her, it's not her first YA, but one of her earlier YAs, The Statistical Probability of Love at First Sight, has also been cast. And I think that's probably still in production. So those are two, you know, awesome things that are on the horizon and can look forward to. One more I'll add is I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. (gasps) Yes. Netflix actually has that on their site. It's from a minute ago, but I haven't seen that it's, um, I haven't watched it. So yeah, I am interested. And it's basically produced and directed by America Ferreira. Oh, I love her. Yeah, she's super cool. That's awesome. Yes, so many great things that are coming out. Um, I hope that this will inspire you to go go watch something or, you know, you have something on your list that wasn't before. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of great watching ahead. Yes, a lot to look forward to. For sure. And plus, I know that right now, Shadow and Bone, which you've all heard me just like, fawn over that <laughs> they are now filming um season two so i'm excited Excellent. about that yes. and i need to still get into that oh. because i know i'm gonna like it as we discussed i marathoned it in a single day it was great <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying not to do that with things so sometimes i actually put off watching certain things because i'm like i'm gonna watch this in like two days and ruin my life but yeah yeah it's fun <laughs> so yeah it's very fun Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Um, You can always leave us feedback about the show on Apple Podcasts and let us know how we're doing. That also helps other people find us. Or you can email us at heyya.bookriot.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, And don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and all things bookish. Thanks so much to today's sponsors for making the show possible. And as always, thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink, for making us sound great. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Tears of Price. That's T-I-R-Z-A-H-P-R-I-C-E. And Erica, how about you? 
I'm on Twitter at Erica underscore Eze underscore. That's E-R-I-C-A underscore E-Z-E underscore. Awesome. Well, we will be back with another podcast in two weeks. Until then, happy reading. Bye.